We are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly din, dilly dong, come on. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney. Hello, welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. My name is Gary Kernin. Joining us for this episode is Raymond Verheyen. This was a live interview that we did on Monday. It was an hour and 42 minutes, so we decided to break this up. And this is the first half of it. So Raymond talks about returning to the pitch, how coaches can build the fitness levels of the players. He also talks about competence preceding consciousness. And then talks about how we can bring that on to the training pitch ourselves. So really interesting. Raymond is obviously very, very strong in his beliefs. And I've had a few people that have reached out to me. My phone blew up as soon as this interview was over. What did you think? What did you think? What did you think? This was the first time I had spoke to him. So I save my post-interview reflections for the end of part two. So I want to put it all together. So this is just part one. Part two will be coming out in a few days. I hope you enjoy it. Please let me know what you think. At Gary Kareen on Instagram. At Gary Kareen on Twitter. We've teamed up with Coach Tech Soccer for this interview. They are an analysis-centered platform who offer online courses in opposition scouting and post-game analysis. They, their work is designed by professional coaches, scouts, analysis, and the courses have been successfully educating youth, college, and pro coaches for the last three years. I have taken coach tech soccer courses myself i've done some work with oliver gage absolutely phenomenal he's given coaches 20 percent off coach tech courses on this here promotion use the code msc20 it's available up to july 14th please go ahead and check that out here is raymond enjoy raymond thanks for joining us much appreciated yeah you're welcome yeah First off, nice easy one, obviously with people about to start their training again and three months away from the players and everyone probably worried about fitness levels and players losing this and losing that and pre-season about to start. What advice would you have and then what are some mistakes that you think coaches will naturally gravitate towards? Well, there are... um... Let's say in general, there are uh, three areas that um, that coaches uh, should be careful with and, and, and take into account. Uh, the first one is, uh, let's say, the, the, the fitness one uh, and the underlying physiology uh, that um, that players have uh, are under under trained in terms of uh, uh, interval uh, sports like uh, like football. Um, they might have been busy themselves. They might have been uh, running outside or, or keeping themselves busy with other things. But the, the specific interval characteristic of football in terms of uh, making an explosive action and then being out of breath and then having to catch your breath uh, as quickly as possible because you, ha- because you have to make the next action, uh, that is obviously underdeveloped. But uh, I think uh, most coaches will be aware of that. So you will have uh, more players who will be more out of breath in uh, during your initial training sessions than normally 
after the off-season because the off-season is normally four or five or six weeks, uh, depending on what country you work in and depending on um, uh, what level you work at. Uh, but normally the, the off-season is, is significantly shorter than the period of relative inactivity that we had right uh, right now, because it has been, I think, three or four months. So that means that fitness levels have dropped more than normal in the off-season, so players will be uh, less fit, more out of breath um, than, than normally at the start of pre-season, which means that when you are used to using certain work-rest ratios, that maybe the rest period between the work should be longer than you normally apply uh, in the first weeks of preseason. So that is one thing, but this is the obvious one. Uh, the less obvious one uh, is the anatomic under training. Uh, because with football, there is a lot of stopping and starting, decelerating, accelerating, either horizontally or, or vertically. And when you are decelerating before you accelerate, during the deceleration, uh, you are basically stretching your muscles who are also contracting at the same time. And if you are stretching your muscle while they also have to contract, you are basically pulling, pulling your, your uh, muscle, creating very little microtrauma inside your muscle um causing muscle stiffness the next day you also have the the shock absorption uh with respect to your tendons your ligaments your joints uh during the deceleration so what you will see is because of the under training in the last three or four months that the body of your players and in particular the muscles the joints the ligaments, uh, the tendons, they are not as used to shock absorption as they normally are in the start of preseason, which means that after your initial training sessions, your players will have more muscle stiffness and more uh, tendon stiffness and soreness than they normally have in the first phase of uh, of preseason, so that is the second thing: the anatomical uh, under training, and then the the third one, and that is the most important one. The third one is that the brains of your players are also under trained. And what do I mean with that? Well, your players in the last part of the game are used to suppressing discomfort. They are suppressing fatigue. They are suppressing negative thoughts about the fact that you are 2-0 down. The brain is uh, used to suppressing maybe pain or emotions, which allows the players to keep thinking task rather than thinking whatever distraction. Yes. So they, before those three or four months, your players had a relatively strong brain. 
and strong brain means a brain with the ability to suppress the discomforts that I just described, allowing them to keep thinking task and keep pressing, keep transitioning, etc. And although the last three or four months have been uncomfortable from a different perspective, the brain has been underloaded in terms of suppressing the discomforts that I just described. So the brain of your players have, has become weaker. The ability to suppress fatigue, pain, emotions, negative thoughts, etc. in a football context, that ability is underdeveloped, which means that your players will struggle more with fatigue or disappointment or emotions than they normally uh, do um, during the game or during training. Well, and uh, based on based on this, um, before the start of uh, the international leagues, I defined a hypothesis. And the hypothesis was that teams will come back from 2-0 down and win less frequently after the corona crisis compared to before the corona crisis. And a few people who are uh, um, working in, in the world of uh, football statistics, they are keeping an eye on this for me. And um, yeah, the first signs are already very clear because in all the, all the leagues that have restarted again, it very, very, very rarely happens that a team comes back and wins after a 2-0 down. And obviously that has to do with more reasons than just the reasons that we are discussing right now. But a weaker brain that cannot suppress the disappointment and the negative thoughts when going 2-0 down will allow you to come back from that 2-0 uh, less than uh, three, four months ago. And the fact that there, is no, there are no fans will make that hypothesis even stronger. Because normally there are fans so external stimulus helping you to suppress discomfort, giving you a little nudge to keep going. But because the fans are not there, this external stimulus is not there. So now your brain has to do it on its own. Normally it gets external help from the fans, but now the brain has to do it on its own. So normally you have a stronger brain with the external stimulus of the fence. And now you have the weaker brain without the external stimulus of the fence. And as a result, um, it is very likely that the hypothesis that I just described uh, will be confirmed uh, after uh, all, the, all the international leagues have finished. Uh, because you need all that data to have a, a big enough population to to really uh, falsify or confirm a hypothesis. So those are the three areas 
that coaches uh, have to be careful with. Obviously, the the, the, the fitness, uh, the undertrained uh, football fitness, but also the anatomical perspective and the brain perspective. Yeah, on that there last one then, how would a coach, knowing that that's going to happen, knowing that maybe the players aren't used to this or not developing the resilience, how do you do, you know, that external factor, should the coach be providing that in training sessions or how does that, I suppose, transfer to, to practices? Well, first of all, uh, the first thing you do is observe and, and, and analyze whether uh, this is actually taking place. Uh, because uh, some players will uh, struggle more than others. Uh, the, um, with some players, their brain has become weaker than with other players. So the first question is, how big a role is this going to play with my players? And the best way to test it is to create... Uh, little overload situations or little distractions and just observe how well your players can maintain thinking task or whether they are distracted away from the task by those uh, external factors or uh, because sometimes you get those situations for free uh, sometimes you don't have to design an overload situation sometimes discomfort just happens so then it's like a present and you can analyze how your players handle the discomfort that spontaneously uh, happens and then based on your observation and then evaluation in terms of how much did my players struggle compared to four months ago then the next step is uh, how can i solve that how can I make the brain of my players strong again? And that is by uh, creating overload situations in terms of fatigue or uh, uh, dealing with disappointment. Okay. Fatigue is an easy one uh, because everybody knows how you can create uh, exercises where players have to deal with fatigue because that's just a matter of... Uh, uh, keep keeping uh, keep going, but um, yeah, you can also play, uh, for example, small-sided games, um, and uh, with a with a very short duration, and that when the game ends in a draw, for example, one-one, that the team who scores first uh, stays on the pitch, while the team that uh, scored second has to leave the pitch and will be replaced by another team, eh, if you rotate teams. Because that means that the moment you go 1-0 down, you have to score twice if you want to stay on the pitch. And if the, the duration of the games are relatively short, now that team knows that they only have 30 or 60 seconds left to score two goals. So they are very uh, players with a weaker brain than four months ago are more likely to give up. And those are the, the little football situations that you can design to uh, to overload your players, to test your players, and then ultimately to uh, improve your players again. 
I watched one of your webinars that you've done uh, recently. You talked about competence preceding consciousness and how coaches are conditioned to talk before they let the players experience the game. What are some ways that coaches can break this habit and improve the competence of their players, trusting them to do that? Well, first of all, they they need a, a deeper understanding of, of what you just said. Yeah? Because you can say that competence precedes consciousness, but if you don't prove that, then it's just an assumption. And you can then start to coach based on an assumption. And then that happens a lot in football, uh, unfortunately, because very little, very few things are objectively proven. Uh, and a lot of things are just uh, arbitrary opinions or, or based on past experiences. So first of all, you have to objectively prove what you mean with uh, competence preceding consciousness. Well, if you look at, for example, uh, our school system worldwide, then the school system is based the other way around. Yeah? It's blah, 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 trying to uh, develop consciousness. And then everybody is hoping or assuming that this consciousness will gradually shift into competence. So people are talking and football coaches do the same. Yeah, blah, 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 blah. Everybody understand? Okay, let's play. Yeah, and everybody who is watching right now will recognize that more or less. So the traditional thinking is that consciousness precedes competence. Yeah, that competence is the consequence of consciousness. But just look at human evolution. Yes. Our ancestors already looked like us, more or less, and already had many of our abilities that we have today, more or less, when conscious thinking was not there yet. So our ancestors developed many of our modern day abilities competencies without conscious thinking being involved so in human evolution what you see is that competence preceded consciousness even better eh? even more precise consciousness conscious thinking was actually one of the competencies that evolved. You see? So, consciousness did not precede competence. No. Competence preceded consciousness. And conscious thinking was actually one of the many competencies that our ancestors developed. Yes. So, basically if you look at human evolution is that along the way while our ancestors became more and more competent they developed consciousness along the way and then the moment they had consciousness 
they were all of a sudden now able to top down guide their own process self-regulation and then they exponentially uh, they accelerated the evolution of their competencies so when conscious thinking evolved and that only happened maybe 10 20 000 years ago when conscious thinking evolved it uh, created a dramatic acceleration of human evolution because until that moment our ancestors developed competencies unconsciously trial and error purposeless without learning without evolution or without evaluation the moment the competency consciousness evolved then it became more purposeful because we were able to top-down guide our own uh, evolution and based on what i just described and of course when people are religious they maybe struggle with human evolution uh, but like I always say, that is something I cannot solve for anyone. Um, and there is more than enough scientific evidence for human evolution. So we can, based on that scientific proof and scientific knowledge, uh, we can take human evolution as an objective reference and then translate that objective reference to the football context and then what you can say is that when children are playing on the street they are just playing they are not thinking they don't have team meetings they don't have video analysis they don't have half time they don't have whatever they just play yes and when there is a lamppost the child just tries to get past the lamppost and if it accidentally works, he will repeat that same way. So then, some, then uh, and that is what you call evolution. But when a child tries to get unconsciously tries to get past a lamppost and the child fails, he will not try again that way. So that way will become extinct. And then the child will try something else until he gets past that lamppost. So street football is like human evolution before conscious thinking was there. And the moment consciousness evolved in human evolution is the same moment, eh, if you want to compare it in a football context, is the same moment that street football becomes football training. Because in human evolution, our ancestors had conscious thinking, allowing themselves to top-down guide their own actions. In a football context, there is the coach who has football consciousness, who is now top-down guiding the process of the still relatively unconscious children. And now you have an evolution in football development, an acceleration of football development.
So children are playing football and only when there is a coach who asks them questions, they will along the way become more and more conscious of what they did. So consciousness is something that children develop along the way. So children are passing the ball. So they are developing passing on the street without coaches, without consciousness. But then the moment there is the coach who is going to ask them questions about why did you pass the ball like that? And the coach is going to make the child reflect on his own passing. Then developing passing consciousness is an integral part of developing passing, the competency passing. So now what you see is that football consciousness does not precede football competence. So passing consciousness does not precede passing competence. No, you are developing passing competence and as an integral part along the way, you develop more and more passing consciousness, either by self-reflection, but that is inefficient with children, or with the help of questions of the coach, which it will be more efficient. And that is, yeah, so now, uh, now, competence preceding consciousness is no longer an assumption. It is no longer a opinion uh, like, uh, like things normally happen in football. Uh, there's everybody has opinions and uh, nobody is proving anything. So I started with an overall reference, human evolution. And the moment I prove the overall reference, then I translated that into the football context. But then you prove a reference. Yeah? So people can trust the information that I just shared because the information is not based on my opinion, but on human evolution. And like I said, you can challenge human evolution if you are a religious person, but I don't think that that should be part of this conversation because that is something... Uh, of a different order. Um, so then the next the next point is after you have proven that consciousness does not precede competence, but that consciousness is an integral part of developing competence, football competence. Then the next question is how do you develop this consciousness? Because if you let children play first, but then you are telling them what to do afterwards, after all, yeah, then it's all in vain. Then you might as well tell it in advance because it's, it's both not going to work. No. First they play and then you talk, but you ask questions. And then you ask questions about what they have just experienced. And then it has a meaning for them. And then 
they will develop football consciousness in general, or for example, passing consciousness in particular. And to prove this even further, uh, you can use a metaphor. If you are a parent of a teenager, yeah, and you see that your teenage child is about to make a mistake, you can say whatever you want to your child, but the teenager is going to look at you and think, what are you talking about? Because it has no meaning. You as a parent have, because you have been a teenager yourself, you know what is likely going to happen. So for you, it already has a meaning. But the teenager doesn't have a clue what you're talking about. But once the child, the teenager has made a mistake, and then you sit down with your child, and then you ask questions and you reflect together with your child, then your teenage child will say, yeah, I understand what you mean. And then the child will take ownership and will feel responsible. And then you develop consciousness in the brain of your child. Yeah, and everybody who is watching, who has, uh, who has been in this situation with your child, yeah, if you talk to your child in advance, so consciousness before competence, everybody, every parent knows 99% of the time it's not going to work, or at least not the way you want. But if your child does something and then you sit down, then it has a meaning. So also when you raise children, consciousness is an integral part of becoming a competent adult. Yeah, so you can also use that metaphor uh, to give the statement. Competence precedes consciousness even more meaning. When you're looking at, you mentioned the, the conscious, in, in the, again, the webinars that I've watched, conscious firepower. And when you're looking at improving that there, and there's a big fear in coaches today about giving the player too much to think about, um, de detracting from their performance, detracting from their ability to, to, I suppose, think of themselves. How does a coach balance that there? How do you catch yourself? Well, obviously, yeah, with the reference that we just discussed, um, first of all, you make the players think after they play football. So after an action or after a game situation or after an exercise or after a session or after a game. So first of all, first they play and then you talk. That was conclusion number one. And conclusion number two is, if you talk after football, then you ask questions about their experience rather than you telling them what to do after all. So that is one. That is the overall reference. And then uh, if you develop thinking in the brain of your players, then you can they can use that thinking in different contexts. And one of them is the conscious firepower that you refer to. Okay. And once again, uh, I'm not going to just uh, tell something or uh, uh, suggest something. No. In coach education, every time that you say something, you have to prove it. Like I said, uh, in 
in football in general, everybody's just saying whatever he wants and nobody is objectively proving anything. And that is why the level is so low in the football world. If you wake up in the morning, yeah, and your brain, your brain is fresh because you had a good night's sleep. And you go and you walk to a buffet. And on the buffet, you see a nice cake and you like cake and you see fruit. Well, initially, the cake will have a bigger impact on your brain than the fruit. So your impulse might be to take the cake. And then, then you have this conscious thought. Oh, I have to lose weight. In the morning, when your brain is fresh, your conscious thought is likely to be very strong. So your conscious thought is firing to your unconscious brain strongly. And there is a big chance that you now end up taking the fruit. Okay. But now the next scenario. You have had a long day, a stressful day. There was a lot going on and you are tired after this long day. Your brain is tired, but you still have to, you have dinner. And you walk to that same buffet and you see the cake and you see the fruit. Your initial impulse will again be Ah, cake, because you like cake. And once again, you will have the thought, oh, but I have to lose weight. Are you now as likely as in the morning going to take the fruit? Yes or no? What, what is your answer? At night, I'm taking the cake. Absolutely. Yeah. And again, it's not a given, but <laughs> in the night, yeah, there is a significantly bigger chance that you are going to take the cake after all. Although you have this conscious thought, I have to lose weight. And why am I using this metaphor? Because I don't want to explain something based on my opinion. I am explaining something based on a situation that everybody has been in. Everybody has been in a similar situation that you have to choose between these two things. And everybody knows that in the morning you have a bigger chance of taking the fruit than in the evening. Although you have the same conscious thought, but in the evening, the firepower of your conscious thought is significantly smaller. In other words, in the morning, you, your unconscious impulse is cake, but then your conscious thought, I have to lose weight, is firing to your unconscious brain, and basically you are correcting your unconscious brain. You give your unconscious brain a second chance. So now you are de-act with your conscious thought, you are deactivating the impulse cake, 
and you are activating the impulse fruit. In the evening, because your brain, your prefrontal cortex is tired, although you have the same conscious thought, the firepower of that conscious thought is significantly smaller. So now you are less likely to suppress the impulse cake and to activate the impulse fruit. And that is why in the evening you are more likely to take the cake or a snack at 10 p.m. or a glass of wine or a beer at 10 p.m. Although you know that you should not do that, although you know that you have to lose weight, but your conscious firepower is not strong enough to suppress those impulses. Yes? Mm -hmm. This metaphor that I just described, you can now translate to the football context. In the first part of the game, the, the brain of your players is relatively fresh. So although all kinds of things happen, fatigue or emotion or pain or one nil down, the brain is relatively fresh, so they can suppress those di that discomfort and they can keep going. It, it's not a distraction. But then in the last 15 minutes, when their brain is tired because they had to suppress a lot of things, and when your brain, your prefrontal cortex, has to suppress things, that costs energy. So your prefrontal cortex gets tired during the game. And then with this tired brain, in the last part of the game, you will struggle to suppress fatigue, pain, negative thoughts, emotion, more and more. And that is why players start to give up. They walk in transition or they get a red card or they get an ACL injury. And that also happens a lot when players are tired, especially before halftime or in the last part of the game. So conscious firepower means how well am I able to correct my unconscious brain with my conscious thoughts? And correcting your unconscious brain means suppressing one impulse and activating another impulse. Suppressing fatigue and walking and activating pressing, for example. Mm. And uh, this is, for example, uh, the, this, this mechanism, uh, the unconscious brain and consciousness uh, is one of the things that I describe in the new football coaching theory book. In the, in the football context, I translated that to football coaching. And the, the way that you can um, improve this ability, uh, that you can improve the conscious firepower of your players, is once again by putting them in overload situations, in uncomfortable situations. That concludes part one of Raymond's interview. Part two will be out 
in a couple of days. If you can't wait to get it, if you want to listen to the whole thing right now, the video is available at modernsoccercoach.com along with loads of other webinars that we've done throughout the lockdown. So a lot of content on there. I've just done a blog about crossing, losing North Carolina Courage as an example. We've also added some webinars to the shop as well along with the book so if you want to support modern soccer coaching what we're doing which would be great please go ahead and go on modernsoccercoach.com slash shop please keep checking the website thanks for listening part two coming soon goodbye thank you for listening to the modern soccer coach podcast for more coaching topics sessions and resources Head on over to Coach Kerneen on Facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com.